for the What is nothing? Now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Hi, welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pozitsky. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, this episode is really near and dear to my heart. I mean, they all are, but this one in particular, man, a kid wrote in, um, I'm just going to start, give you a little taste before we do business, but um, this boy wrote in who he has a horrible background and he, you know, against all odds, got into an Ivy League college but he feels like an imposter, like he doesn't deserve to be there. And man, I got to tell you, if there's one theme in my life I totally resonate with, it is this feeling like you don't belong there, like you don't deserve to be there. And I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of you listening have the same thing happening because I don't, you know, there's very few people that are just born feeling great about who they are, what they're doing. At least if you're listening to this show. <laughs> okay. All right. But first, let's do a little bit of business. Uh, stand up. I am gearing up to shoot a comedy special. Finally, finally. I'm so excited. So I'm doing some dates to get into shape. Uh, April 13th through 15th, the Brea Improv. April 28th through 29th, Sacramento at the Punchline. May 4th and 5th, Phoenix, Arizona, Stand Up Live. May 19th through 20th, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club. June 1st through 3rd, December, December, Denver Comedy Works. That's the downtown location. And then June 16th and 17th, Man Friend Disco at the Punchline. And then I tape my hour and then it goes out into the world and that's that. So also if you use Amazon, I hope you do. Uh, use my banner, that's deeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. Also, there is now a That's Deep Bro official t-shirt. Um, you can get that. The link is on um, on my site now on that's deeprowpodcast.com. Click on the store, get the shirt. It's super cool. Black, of course, low, covering goth, emo, yes. Okay, is that it? Is that it for the business, I think? Let's get into it, bros. Feeling. That's how it's been all around 
And um, I don't think there's a more perfect song in the world than Lost in the Supermarket. I just, I, I, I'm telling, I listen to the song right now. I just, tears come to my eyes. The, the lyrics are so amazing. And I, it's so silly to, I, I cry every time I hear this uh, fucking song. And I, I thought of the song um, because of the nature of today's, Today's episode, hold on, I got to turn, now I'm too loud in my ears, about today's episode, the idea of entitlement. And I think it's one of the issues I've struggled with my entire life. And um, I don't know, I wanted to share with you because oddly enough, I feel like whenever I'm going through something, you guys are going through something and we kind of come together and the emails have been going in this direction. So we're going to do an episode on it, but I wanted to just briefly read the lyrics to this song and why I love it so much. A, this song is about consumerism, the clash. I, you know, they were a punk band and ironically punk became really popular and they were selling out stadiums, you know, and punk kind of imploded on itself. But at one point it was a, a movement, uh, rooted in the real and in subversion. And, um, sticking it to the man and anarchy and whatever the fuck, you know, breaking the norms and getting people to think. And and a lot of it is anti-consumerism, which deep down at my core, I think I'm still a bit of an anti-consumer, <laughs> even though now I'm 40 and I can afford to buy nice things and I do and I enjoy them. I fucking enjoy them. Uh, but listen, okay, I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily. I came in here for the special offer, a guaranteed personality. Now, this is the one that just, oh, listen to this. Now, if you were... If you were fucking born into nothing, okay? If you if you're like me and you were born uh somewhere in a, a province, Windsor, Ontario, Canada, across from 
uh, glamorous Detroit, Michigan into, uh, you know, immigrant parents and the apartment complex I grew up in and lived in, in Canada, it looked like, you know, I guess what the equivalent is what they call council housing in, uh, in, in England and, you know, just like depressing fucking, uh, modern era housing, right? Everything looks the same. You can build it cheap. I think they have them in New York too, right? Like Brooklyn, you see these fucking high rises, everything, everything looks the same and it's super depressing. Anyway, so this is, oh God, this makes me cry. I wasn't born so much as I fell out. Nobody seemed to notice me. We had a hedge back home in the suburbs over which I never could see. I heard the people who lived on the ceiling scream and fight most scarily. Hearing that noise was my first ever feeling. That's how it's been all around me. Wow. I mean, talk about fucking poetry, Joe Strummer. <laughs> but listen to that. If that isn't fucking punk poetry, I mean, I fucking love Joe Strummer. Okay, so, you know, this is this is true. And if you grew up somewhere shitty, the walls were always paper thin, right? And you always heard people fighting. I have I, my first memory, too, literally is of people fighting. I remember hearing through the walls in Canada when I was a little kid. And um, anyway, this song always touches me and... and and I just, I always have loved the clash for this, for this kind of shit. It's so smart. And then it talks about getting fed into consumerism, right? Buying that personality and getting out of the, you know, the, the, whatever, the, the hard knocks life and getting into consumer life. And is, isn't that the same prison? Isn't that the same fucking thing, right? Are we ever free? Um, I don't know. Anyways, interesting, interesting and, uh, really cool in light of my lunch date yesterday, with a uh, a certain important somebody in our lives. Who could it be? Where is he? God damn it. The sound cues never work on this show. This is why Tom does a sound on your mom's house. Anyways, I had lunch. Tom and I had lunch with the fantastic Dan Pena. Holy shit, right? And, um, oh, good. It's pinwheeling now, the, uh, the MP3 with his fucking... T- motherfucking cunts. <sighs> you know, all I wanted was a fucking soundbite with Dan. Is that, is that too much to ask? Computer. <sighs> Mother, maybe this one will work. I want to blow my f- motherfuck brains out. Hold on. God damn it. Finally. Okay, here we go. I can finally pay the motherfuck drop. Oh, t- it enrages me when technology does not work. Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. There you go. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There you go. See? You're not the old end all shit. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Dan Pena. I am so excited. We finally met Dan Pena face to face. And, you know, I won't get into the particulars of our meeting just because I want to save it for your mom's house. But uh, one of the many reasons I love Dan Pena um, is because he's a guy who grew up in East LA, uh, last name Pena, if, if, mother of cunts. I mean, any more problems today? Um, the guy grew up in East LA, Hispanic family, right? Dad's a cop and hard knocks life. The guy grew up really fucking poor. He was in jail five times. He told us yesterday at lunch and, you know, talk about somebody who should be in jail, right? Who should be a fucking loser. And I'm fascinated with people who really overcome so much adversity 
who really, and especially in a time like Dan Pena, around my father's age, I'm assuming, I think he was born in around, you know, 1940-ish around there. And that's not an era that encouraged people to have positive feelings or, you know, there's no such fucking thing as um, self-help. I mean, yeah, they hate Dale, Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill books, right? Think and Grow Rich, if you haven't read that one, fucking read your Napoleon Hill. Um, you know, Claude, Claude Bristol, who wrote The Magic of Believing, which my wonderful mentor and guidance love angel Phyllis Diller read, and it changed her life. Uh, but by all rights, there's no reason Dan Pena should have been successful because he came from a poor Mexican family in East L.A. So I, there's so much, I think, that goes into rising above your station, right? There's so much that goes into, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transcending where you're from. And I think a big, a big thing on this show I talk about a lot is that you're not your history. You're not your mistakes. You're not your religion. You're not your race. You're not your gender. You're not your mommy. You're not your daddy. You're not your uh, teacher who told you you're a dumb fuck. You're not your disability. You're not whatever, right? So I want to start by reading this email I got in and I read this email. I'm telling you, and sometimes these fucking emails, you guys, I get so... I get so wrapped up because it's so, um, I get it, man. I get it. Okay. I get it. Uh, I'm not gonna, I don't want to say, I'm not going to give away this. This is a a gentleman who writes a, a young man. He's 19 years old. He's a freshman at a very prestigious university. I won't say the name. So he writes to me, um, hi mommy. I'm 19. I'm a freshman at this school. The transition has been very difficult for me because I don't really feel like I belong here. Now, keep in mind, the school that this kid goes to is top, top in the United States, top, top of the fucking top. Okay. You're not an idiot if you get into this school. Uh, it's pretty fucking impressive. He writes, the transition has been difficult for me because I don't really feel like I belong here. I feel like I am the only kid who has ever had to deal with anything real. I grew up poor as shit and worked my ass off to get here. I mean, not just poor, but eat your cereal with a fork so someone else can use the milk poor. But that didn't really ever bother me until I got here and see my friends doing things that I just can't afford to do with them. This doesn't bother me. Uh, all that much, but I just can't shake the feeling that I don't deserve to be here. And he writes deserve in italics. The truth is I'm a fuck up and I don't belong around all these incredible people. When I was 15, my mom had a stroke and lost her memory permanently. She rarely knows who I am. And this continues to tear me up. At the time I wished she had just passed away peacefully. I wish that it could have just been over. I know it would have hurt, but it would have faded. Now it's just a wound that a finger probes every time I hear her voice. I don't, I didn't know what and turned to drugs. I joined a 12 step and have been clean and clear for two and a half years. I have fucked up too often to be at this amazing school. I feel guilty that I even have this chance. I have friends back home who are dying and pissing their lives away. And I know I should be one of them. 
Dan Pena says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. My friends have changed, but I feel like future is going to be the same or should be the same. I know you'll recommend therapy, but I feel like I am finally getting to the point where I don't think about my mom every hour. I don't know if I'm ready to deal with or even talk about it. Do you have any suggestions? How can I get rid of these feelings of guilt? How do I get to the point where I'd feel safe going to therapy? How do I get my life? Okay. Wow. Wow. Now, every now and then, one of these emails comes in that just kind of encapsulates this whole fucking show, right? Every now and then, somebody's able to articulate exactly what's happening and there are lives. And I think, I mean, listen, you don't have to be at an Ivy League school to fucking get what this kid is saying. A lot of us feel like imposters and losers and fakes and phony just going into our fucking everyday lives, our everyday jobs, right? Who am I? How am I entitled to be here amongst these people? Because inside, I think I'm not worthy because inside I feel guilty because I'm leaving people behind. Because inside, I I think that maybe I can't do it. Maybe I'm not good enough and this and that. So let's break this email apart in a a few pieces. Fuck. Okay. Uh, Number one, yeah, you do deserve to be there at this school. You do. You made it. You made it out of the... Let me tell you something. When I was pregnant with my son and I would go do shows at the comedy store, I would look in the audience and I would think to myself... You know how much fucking suffering a mother goes through to carry, to grow a human being inside of her? Do you understand that the the amount of attention and love and sacrifice that goes into creating and maintaining the life of every human being? No wonder so many people do a fucking piss poor job at it because it's hard and it requires sacrifice if physically, emotionally, psychological sacrifice. And that's why so many fucking people are fucked up because their parents weren't willing to go through that for them. And the point is, not that, but the point is, when I look out at the fucking audience when I was pregnant, standing on my two legs, carrying this baby, is that most of these motherfuckers in the audience and in life walking around aren't worth the effort. Yeah, they're not worth it. Most of us, are fucking waste, human goddamn garbage waste. Most of us will never create anything worth a shit. Most of us will never create a vaccine that saves lives or cure cancer or do anything worth a shit. Most of us will, like Dan Pena say, says, said to me at lunch, most of us will live lives of quiet desperation because we're fucking scared. We're full of ideas that didn't come from us. We're full of uh, negative, whatever, self-talk. And we're full of shit that, that doesn't allow us to transcend into the next level, to, to go past the cards you were given. Now, listen, I get it. I went to Oxford. I studied with a, a lot of kids who weren't born to immigrant parents who grew up in fucking Canadian, whatever, council housing. I don't even know what they call it there. Um, and yeah, unfortunately you're taking what's called the hero's journey. Anybody, any motherfucker who's born into shit and wants to raise themselves up like a Phoenix from the ashes, 
like a primordial man from the ooze of existence, from the fucking muck, the scum, the filth. Anybody that wants to rise up and take the challenge of, of not letting fear and their station in life and their start in life get in their fucking way is going to go through what's known as the hero's journey, okay? That's been written time and time again. Read your, uh, Dan, what is it, Dan Coelho? Is it the, no, 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 the Celestine Prophecy. Read these books. It's the hero. A lot of the times, if you'll find in literature, the orphan mythology, right? The orphan has no mommy and no daddy, the Harry Potters of the world. The reason being we, we kill mom and dad because mom and dad are fucking worthless, right? Most of the time, mom and dad are crippling, hobbling, holding back the hero, Okay, so we kill them in mythology so that they can rise above the shit that they came from. And yeah, you know what? In life, a lot of these fucking candy asses you go to school with, a lot of these rich kids, they haven't been through the shit you've been through. They haven't. They haven't. They've never had a mother who doesn't know who they are. Uh, They've never dealt with being so poor that they've eaten cereal with a fork so that their siblings could have milk. Absolutely. But does that make them better than you? Fuck no. Does that make you better than them? Fuck no. It just is. There's no judgment to either of it. And you know some uh, what I've learned? Rich kids don't actually necessarily have it better than you. Okay? Now, take that back. Being someone who grew up with shit, not a lot of material stuff, having stuff is great. I will never poo-poo money because money is fantastic. And any artist who tells you they don't need money is stupid. You always look for money, always get your money because in this world, there are people that get others or you get got, get good. You know what I'm saying? You got to fucking get yours because some motherfucker is going to take it from you if you don't. But the point is, what the fuck is my point even? I don't know. They're not better than you. You're not worse than them. And that's the danger that so many of us, I will include myself in this, if you've come from shit, if you've come from a, you know, a deficit or whatever, if you will, of some kind, that's the hang-up, right? That's our big hang-up. I'm not as good as these other people. I don't deserve to be around these other people. Now, yesterday when we were eating with Dan Pena, we ate at the nice Beverly, you know, Wilshire what-the-fuck hotel with a lot of uh, fancy people near Rodeo Drive, and the, and I wore a you know a mink, and it was fun. It was silly, and I thought to myself, you know, had I done this a few years back, I probably would have flogged myself. You know, who's the? How dare I? I'm the imposter in the room. I I don't belong amongst these wealthy people. I don't belong eating in a mink jacket and this and that. But then you realize that these motherfuckers, these motherfuckers sitting around you. You know what they are? Ah, a lot of the women are pill poppers. A lot of them ignore their children. I know because I went to school with a lot of them. Um, eventually I went to private school, but you know, uh, a, a lot of them are uh, in miserable marriages. A lot of them suffer abuse. Mental illness is tremendous. In, uh, and guess what? In highfalutin society, they got mentally ill relatives. They got a booze bag uncle right? This is what we learned watching all that royal stuff. They're fucking white trash with money, dude. These motherfuckers ain't better than you. And that's what the institution is built upon, by the way, these things to make you feel better than everybody else. I was thinking that yesterday I was wearing my mink coat 
it was my mother's mink coat, <laughs> not my mink coat, but my mother. And I, I went into, cause I knew I had to, we dressed up to meet Dan Pena. That was the fun, right? Cause we knew that this guy's going to show up in a nice outfit. So Tommy wore his nice suit that was now, now it's too small cause he lost 50 pounds. And I went into uh, my mother's stuff and I pulled out her ridiculous mink. I pulled out some ridiculous pearls, her ridiculous jewelry. And I, I just had Lovey Howell in my head, right? From, um, not Fantasy Island, from Gilligan's Island. And I was sitting in this car on the way there. I took a lift there. And I thought to myself, you know, I could right now think to myself, how much better am I than everybody? I'm sitting here in a mank and I'm wearing my pearls. I really, I legit had this thought of like, oh, this is why people do this. It's to feel better than everybody else. Not on a real level on a superficial level for five minutes or for whatever time you're wearing that bullshit, you can tell yourself that you're better than everybody else. And that's why you do it, right? Baudrillard. What was that fucking book? Simulacra simulacra and simulation, not that one. Critique of the political economy of the sign. He talks about, and I've mentioned this on the show, I did a whole episode on it. If you want to hear it a bit more in detail, Baudrillard, Jean Jones on Baudrillard is the philosopher I covered. He talks about symbols. Why would somebody buy a BMW over, let's say, a Honda? Well, because of what a BMW signifies, right? It signifies I am of a certain income level. I associate with certain people. I have um, such and such status in society, right? You know, whereas the Honda driver might say, well, I'm practical and I make X amount of dollars and I live in this part of the suburbs or whatever the fuck it is. It's not really about the automobile because by and large, they're mostly the same. It's going to get you from point A to point B. But it's the status. It's how we mark ourselves, right? Like peacocks with their plumage, we're telling everybody in the world, look at me, I'm a BMW driver, I'm a Mercedes driver, and God forbid, help me if I'm a Lamborghini driver, Jesus Christ, is there anything more ridiculous? I'm a Ferrari, I have a, I have a Corvette, and, and none of these things are bad, I'm not poo-pooing anybody that has nice shit, if you can afford it, you should have it, if you can't afford it, then you're a fucking idiot, but... The point is we tell each other who we are, we, sh- we show off our status and this and that, but at the end of the day, these motherfuckers, I had to take off my mink jacket, right? I had to take off the pearls and you come home and at night you lay your head on your pillow and you deal with who you are, who your fucking demons are. And that's really at the end of the day what it's about, man. So, so there's that part of it, right? Guess what? You're not worse than these motherfuckers. And in fact, a lot of the times, these rich kids are way worse off than you. A lot of the times, and I will say this because I grew up around a lot of rich kids in the valley. Um, You know, I'd go to school in seventh grade and these fucking kids would have guest jeans on and I'd have my bullshit that my mother bought me. You know, they'd have Reeboks. I'd have fucking pro wings from Payless. So, you know, I grew up very aware of my station and, and, you know, Hey, thank God I'm blonde and white. That may be the only great advantage I've had and, and, and somewhat attractive that uh, that's been like, great, you're white. Welcome. Thank God. Now, if I were a white guy, that would be like super great. But look, God doesn't give you everything. You can't have everything all at once. So uh, the point is, I, I've known my station. Oh, uh, so let's let's go let's go look at this now. You know, you've got your mom guilt too in here. Okay, now that is a powerful thing. Family guilt. 
Dan Pena at lunch yesterday said something very interesting to me. He says, you know, we asked him, why do you live in Scotland? He said, well, I fell in love with a Yorkshire lady, which is in England. Yes, but they moved to Scotland. He says, I live at, he lives at Guthrie Castle because I, I had to get away from my family. I had to get away from them. They, they wanted too much, too close, too involved, right? Now, part of the hero's journey, those of you transcending your station in life, Unfortunately, that's why we kill mommy and daddy. You got to move past sometimes the people you're related to, right? You got to move past them. Does that mean physically moving to other cities? Yeah. Yeah, kind of does. Now, does that mean in the the case of really toxic, horrible parents cutting them off? Yeah, it does. And does that make you a bad boy and a bad girl? (laughs) <laughs> a naughty boy, dare I say a very naughty girl. Yes, right? In your mind, in your child mind, because that's what that is when you're operating that way, you go, oh, but I, I could never leave mommy behind. Mommy needs me. Daddy needs me. They need me. They need me to take care of them, to complete this cycle of bullshit that I am in, right? Mommy, my mother, in my case, I can only, you know, I can't speak to this guy. In my case, my mother was very sick physically and mentally. So the game was, um, I'm so sick. I have to, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying of cancer. I'm dying of a stroke. I'm dying. Now this bitch was dying since 1993. Dying. My mother was on her deathbed since 1993 and the bitch didn't die until 2016. No, 2015. How many years is that? I don't know. The point is the, the manipulation of I'm dying. I need you. I can't do this without you. That's very powerful to a little kid because that's who has the ability to rock us, right? Is mommy and daddy because they built those wirings. They built that dysfunction. They're the, the architects of our triggers, mommy and daddy. So when mommy and daddy go, don't you leave me. And they may not overtly say it. Okay. They may not overtly do it, but there's a lot of covert shit that goes on, a lot of guilt, a lot of manipulation. And that stuff is very hard, very seductive to get drawn into. I had to physically move to San Francisco to get away from mommy, get fucking away. And then I went to Europe, get away from mommy. I had to. Now here's the, here's the rub is that any healthy mommy or healthy daddy wants baby to fly the nest you as a parent should want that baby to grow up and be strong and smart and capable and get the fuck out and go and spread their wings and flourish and fly and create and be and do and grow and do you get my point that The mommies and the daddies out there that don't want you to go and be free of them, that's not a healthy dynamic, okay? It's not. Now, here's your duty as a kid, because a lot of you are probably thinking, well, what if my mommy and my daddy are sick and I have to help them and da-da-da-da-da? Okay, you have an ethical duty to make sure that your parents' basic needs are met, right? You have an ethical duty to make sure that mommy and daddy aren't eating cans of dog food and are fucking, you know slum retirement home and sleeping in their own filth. That's your ethical duty as a kid. Now, in the case of my mother, I was fortunate that she had money, that she 
mysteriously, fucking thank God for it. She was able to care for herself. She had hospice. She had caregivers. Um, And I would get calls from caregivers every now and then. Hey, your mom's not taking her meds. Well, yeah, no shit. (laughs) That's your problem. (laughs) Really? Your problem. Because guess what? I got this family to deal with. I have my life that I need to get. Okay? I got to get my entire life. Now, is that cold? Is that mean? Am I a bad girl? Am I a bad daughter? No, because I'm doing all that I can because my mother was in such a state that if I went over there every day and I begged for her forgiveness because God knows that is what she wanted. If I got on my knees and I said, mommy, love me. I'm here. I'm going to take care of you. You know what she would have done? Get the fuck out of here, you fucking bad daughter. I don't need to hear that. Okay, so you can stay with that shit. You can keep going back. If that's the case, I don't know. I mean, this guy, this writing, it doesn't sound like mom is abusive. It just sounds like mom's got a lot of problems. And it's very daunting and scary. But know that you can't solve mommy and daddy's problems. You just cannot. And you can only work on your problems, okay? And I knew that I have this wonderful husband and I'm trying, striving to build a wonderful life for myself. And that's the fucking priority, right? My life, not her life that she done did. She done did her life. Mommies and daddies done did theirs. It's time for you to go get yours. Fuck it. Move on. So, but I understand there's a lot of guilt. Trust me. I get it. Now, part three, he wants to go get help. He wants to get his entire life, but how? Because getting your life means that you got to go through the fire of looking at the past. And I'll tell you, looking at the past is what makes people drug addicts. Actually, not looking at the past, uh, rather avoiding looking at the past. Let's be clear here. It's not looking at the past that'll make you sicker, make you a junkie, make you a fucking lunatic. It's not looking. It's the avoiding the looking. That's the danger. So that's what he's afraid of, right? If I, if I go into therapy, it means that I have to rehash this horrible stuff that I don't want to rehash. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, of course you don't want to talk about it because it was so painful thinking about it led you to drugs, of course. So there's that layer of like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, relapse into drug use, obviously. But that's what a shrink is for so that you don't, they're, they're your safety net, right? So you're, you're supposedly looked after, cared for, that that's not going to happen. But here's the real deal. And, and this is what I tell people about therapy and, and doing it and getting into it and getting help. There's two choices. There's keep doing what you're doing and suffer for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. You keep fucking every now and then, sure, you get over it. You don't think about it for a month or two. You're happy and then boom, something happens, right? And you fall into the hole and it's horrible. Or endure the temporary discomfort of looking at your demons because that's what you're going to do and it's a temporary discomfort and then you go through it you go through the fucking fire you go through the heart of darkness and you come out of it the other end so it's and then and then you're fine here's the secret is that the temporary discomfort of therapy is over and then you're fucking flying And then now you have the tools to deal with these bad feelings that when they do come up, because they're never going to go away, but now you recognize them and you know, okay, this is my mommy issue. 
okay, this is my guilt. This is my inadequacy. This is my blah, blah, blah. What do I do? Well, here's what we learned in therapy, <laughs> right? Instead of going, I feel bad. Why do I feel bad? I don't know. I don't know. Let's drink. Let's go do that. Let's go for a hit. That's what you're doing, right? Let's go buy something. Let's go eat something. Let's go gamble. Let's go do the thing that's going to fucking ultimately ruin me. So that's how you do it. That's how you get in. How? And I know it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But here's the, I remember I was at an impasse when I saw it started seeing a shrink. It's either continue with the anxiety and the fear and, and, and staying up at night and being fucked up or face the fear, turn around, look that fucking motherfucker in the eye and go through it. Cause what's the worst that's going to happen to you? By facing the fear. What's the worst thing by facing your doom? You're going to cry a little? You're going to feel sad? Yeah. Okay. You can handle that, right? Can't we all handle feeling sad? Can't, haven't we all cried? And for it's scary for me. I don't like crying. I hate feelings. You know that. If you listen to me ramble enough on the show, I fucking hate them. But I have to go. I have to have them. Because if I don't, then all of a sudden one day I have a fucking meltdown. I don't know why. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, because I, I was fighting the feelings. So there's a lot of layers to this. Okay, so this is really interesting that this email comes in. And I wrote back to this kiddo and we had a, an exchange. And just so you know, yes, he's agreed to go uh, into therapy. So that's fucking amazing. And I want updates and write to me and let me know um, how that's going. Now, what's interesting too, so here's number two that comes in. This is such an interesting thing. Just on the heels of that email, I get this email, which brings me to, I'm going to write this shit down before I forget it, to this part. Okay, so let's let's go on. I'm not going to say this guy's name either. Um, hey, Jean, this guy moved from a major city to a small Midwestern town um, he moved to this Midwestern town thinking, he writes, that my girlfriend would move here with me after she graduated. And a month, oh, and a month I moved to the, he moved to the Bible Belt. She broke up with me. Down and out, depressed as fuck from not having any friends here and anxiety ridden from being uncertain of a future without her. I took it as an opportunity to lose 70 pounds in a six to seven month time span. Holy cow. My confidence was at an all time high. I got into grad school. I did a few open mics and I went skydiving. Now this all might look dope on paper, but I'm a mess. I fucking hate my job and the people I work with and the few friends I have are already deep in social circles. So whenever I get invited somewhere, I'm third wheeling hard as fuck, bro. I really want to leave here because it's boring and too conservative and I've traveled enough to know there's a lot more off there's a lot more to offer in other cities. I really want to move to Denver, but trying to find a job there has been hard. My biggest fear is that I'll move to the next place and the grass won't be any greener. Just wanted to say that I've been listening to your podcast the whole time. I've been in this godforsaken state, <laughs> physically and mentally, and you've helped me out. I've started reading a lot of psychology shit. Good. And I feel like it helps put things into perspective. Okay. Okay. So the, the, the question is, uh, the question is, will moving be any better? Okay. This guy comes from a big city. He moves to the Bible Belt for whatever reason. That doesn't work. And now he's saying, I want to move to another big city, right? But should I bother? 
because is the, is it going to make a difference or am I just being a you know weenie that way? Okay, and I've, we've done this topic a little bit, but we've done it differently on this show because I, God damn it, you know, in a lot of cases when people write to me and they go, if I move, will this change things? No. Nine times out of 10, you're going to take your fucked up shit and you're going to put it in some other city and you're going to recreate the same nonsense that you created in the first place. But the one caveat is when somebody already has their whole goddamn life, like this guy's got his life. It sounds to me like he's got his entire life. Sometimes the problem is external. Sometimes it is a matter of like, whoa, dude, I fucked up. These are, this is not my tribe. <laughs> and then that's when you got to get up and get the fuck out. Okay. Uh, so this is the one case. Now, if this guy would say to me, Hey, Christina, I'm i I'm an alcoholic. I, I, I'm 200 pounds overweight. I can't seem to get my shit together. Will moving help me? No, motherfucker. No, because your problem is up here. The problem ain't external. But in this case, my love, yes, I give you permission. Move to this new city have a little money in the bank account. That's number one. Always have money. And then find a fucking job. Hey, if you got to wait tables for a minute until you can find the career job, you know, go work at fucking Starbucks. I always tell people Starbucks is a great company. Go work there in the meantime, not forever. Meet some people that way, whatever, and then find your career. Now, this brings me to this wonderful um, e- email. So th- l- keep this in mind. Let's put that in the back. So this, this other person writes in, this is from, uh, Tiffany. Okay. She writes, I'm afraid of religious persecution after researching and opening myself to spirituality. I found a religion that agrees with my life experiences. Paganism. Paganism is a religion that includes many traditions like Wicca, Celtic, Traditions and Aboriginal traditions. I like it because it is fluid and accepting and there are no strict rules to live by. I practice Wicca and honor Scottish Celtic traditions from my ancestry. Or is it Celtic? I never know. Paganism has given meaning to the holidays where before I didn't celebrate most holidays because the history never made sense. I've always been deeply connected to nature and energy. My point is I truly believe in my experiences and I'm happy I can finally express my spirituality through paganism. I've come out as pagan to my fiance, my sister, a few friends who have been very supportive. My problem is that I'm afraid to be open about my spirituality in public, even though I have religious rights through law. I live in a predominantly Christian town and I work with two Christians who believe witches should be condemned, which makes me very uncomfortable because they openly talk about the Lord condemning people at work. They are misinformed by their church about their religions and are brainwashed to think a peaceful nature-centered religion is evil. And by the way, I believe Christianity has its roots in paganism. Hello. Hence Salem witch trials. Okay. I am fine with people practicing religion as long as they are not harming anyone. Unfortunately, they don't agree. I'm afraid Christians will target me and harass me. Okay, so here's the question. Should I be proud of my spirituality and own it publicly? Remind hateful people I, I have as much legal right to practice religion as they do? Or should I keep it to myself to avoid harassment? Please let me know what you think about this. Any advice would be amazed from Lee. Lee, no. Don't come out with this shit. Not everybody needs to fucking know what religion you practice. Uh, 
because they're retards. Why, why would you fucking come? Don't come out to people that aren't going to accept you. Now, I get it. You want to live out. Everybody in society today wants to be fucking proud and out and I'm this and I'm that and you should accept me and this and that. And in an ideal world, sweetie, yes, of course, in an ideal world, you should be able to do this. But unfortunately, unfortunately, there are uh, backwater hillbilly places. There are people who uh, are fucking dumb and crazy and not forward thinking and um, don't want to tolerate others. And that's why they come together in places and they live together. And you know what? That's fine. You know, I don't know why people always want to change those folks. Let them fucking be weird. Let them do their conservative, whatever. I don't like paganism fucking thing. Because here's why. Now, this goes on the heels of the last emailer. Because your job, your job is not to stay and fight the idiots. Your job is to get your life and go find your tribe. Fucking move. Guess what? In LA, you can be a pagan, Wiccan, Satanist uh, who wears a tutu and a leotard and um, tattoos leopard whiskers on your face and nobody will look twice. San Francisco, same. Uh, Denver, progressive. Um, Where else am I thinking? Portland. Jeez, Portland. Yeah. Seattle. Uh, Miami. Jesus Christ. You can do whatever you want there. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. New York City. Uh, I'm sure there's a million places on the planet Earth. Austin. The city has weirdness in its slogan, right? Keep Austin weird. So my point is, is that staying in with your fists up and fighting the people that don't get you, I mean, you could spend your whole life doing that crap or turn it around and, and run to the other Wiccans and the other witches and the other cub, join a coven. Is that what they're called? A coven. And, you know, get weird and drink each other's menstrual blood together. Go, go where you're happy. And, you know, I fucking saw some documentary a while back about these two lesbians who are, you know, in love and they're living somewhere in a small Southern town where they everybody hated them, where they were hated. And I'm thinking to myself, well, fucking move. Get the fuck out of there. Don't, don't live there, goddammit. Don't even go there. Don't try. And I feel the same way. Look, I have my own beliefs. And, and these towns that I don't, don't agree with me philosophically or whatever, don't like me because I'm a woman, I don't fucking go there. I don't perform there. So it's, so, it's, so, it's a waste of your time to fight and, sh- and, and that brings me to another point that, look, I don't know what happened. Everybody feels entitled to be out and proud about every fucking thing they do. Stop it. No, not all the time. Okay. There's some things I just think, keep it to your fucking self. Does your 70 year old grandma need to know that you're poly and bi? Why don't we talk about that on your mom's house? Does your, does your mom and dad, do they need to know that you like to put on a, a rubber mask and engage in pup play because you have shame about what it is you're doing and you need to get approval from somebody else? Because I think at the end of the day, there's a little bit of that, right? I feel weird. I got to get approval. I got I to gotta fucking make it right with everybody. Look, some people are not going to understand. 
that's my point. It's not that you should feel shameful or, 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 you know, have secrets. I'm not, it's just that some things are not appropriate for everybody to fucking know, especially religion, especially in this country. We're so hung up on religion. This is a, such a big bullshit issue. Everybody's so hung up on what God and this and that. So don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. God damn it. Right? Like the, the Romans, the Holy Roman Empire, you know how they stuck around for so long? Tolerance, religious tolerance. They didn't give a shit. You want to practice this? Great. Go ahead. You want a Satanist? Great. Go ahead. And everybody knows that's the road to success is tolerance. It's historically been proven, keeps being proven. But, you know, hey, that's an ideal world. And the Holy Roman Empire fell. <laughs> Eventually shit falls. Shit falls apart. And and I know kiddos, I know, and I know I sound really fucking old school here, but there's just some things people don't have to know about you. There's, why? Why do you have to be out about every little uh, detail in your life? Keep it to your fucking self. Most people don't care. That's really the truth of it. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit about what you like to do behind closed doors? I'm a, cr- a cross dresser. Oh, fucking, okay. Isn't it more fun? Isn't it more fun to keep some shit secret anyways? To have your, your weird thing that only you and one other person know about and you guys, you know, do it that way. I, I like to pee on people. Well, good. Keep it to your fucking self. Then, then have fun pissing on people in, in private. Don't, don't burden me with your fucking weird shit. I don't want to know your weird stuff. That's another thing. Nobody wants to hear it. I like to squeeze guys nuts. I like to kick guys in the ball. Great. Enjoy it. What does it do for me that you're out about it? I don't give a fuck. God, you deal with that weirdness. That's on you. It's the same reason, I, you know, I never understand why people confess to cheating in relationships. The reason a motherfucker confesses is for them, for their guilt to be alleviated. It doesn't help the other person. Jesus Christ, I said, Tommy, if you fucking cheat on me, keep it to yourself. You deal with it. That's your guilt. You, you, you lay in bed at night and have that shit eating away. Don't give it to me. You did the crime. You do the time. Jesus Christ. Now I'm all fucking fired up. Okay, one last email, and I love this one. Uh, uh, this is such a big one. Yeah, okay, so I'll just I'll read it real quick. This is a brilliant email. Again, it, it goes so lovely. It goes, it's, this is a nice bookend to this topic of entitlement. Uh, and by the way, when I say entitlement, I don't, I don't mean it in a, in a negative shit, shitty sense. I mean it in a way of like, uh, of deserving to be in a space. I think the word deserving is a bit better than entitlement. It goes together. And I will say in comedy, I've learned this lesson watching men over the years because I came into comedy very not, you know, unsure, tentative. I didn't believe I had a right to even pick up a microphone because I think, you know, 15 years ago, comedy for women was drastically different. We didn't, you know, (laughs) know, I was the only girl at the open mics and I don't know what, if it's changed any now, but it was very terrifying and daunting and I tell you, it took a lot of years for me even to feel like I had a right to talk into a microphone uh, because the boys, I would watch the boys and the boys, man, these dumbasses, they'd stand up and they'd talk into the microphone like they had every right to be there, right? Saying stupid shit, not funny. And I'm like, how is it that this motherfucker feels entitled to talk? 
and he's not even saying shit. And I, I get up there and I'm prepared and I got this and I feel like I, I don't belong here. And it took me many years. And I, and I don't poo poo the boys. I'm not saying this to put the men down because I learned from them and I learned what it means to feel deserving of inhabiting a space. That's what I'm talking about. And I've watched comedians over the years who didn't have necessarily all the talent, but boy, did they have that sense of entitlement and that sense of deserving. And again, I'm not shitting on that uh, because that's half the game in life, isn't it? You got your talent, what you do, but then you have to feel deserving of the money, of the success. Otherwise, it never, I don't know, does it come? Maybe it does for some people, but you'll lose it. If it comes, you'll squander it because you don't feel like you deserve it. And that's a fucking major, major, major point of this whole episode today is feeling like you deserve something and that you're entitled to be there. And don't you dare let your background or what's happened to you or your trauma or your physicality or your color or your gender, or your race determine any of that, boo-boos. That is in your head. Which brings me to this, okay? Um, this guy writes, hello, your main momminess, Duchess of Farts. Thank you, Lady Jean of Water Champshire. Thank you. Cameron, 21 years old. And I recently watched a documentary on Lay, I don't know how to say the name, Lee, Lee Bowery, a man I can loosely generalize as an avant-garde fashion designer and performance artist, although that probably wasn't, that probably doesn't begin to define him. It's like trying to define Gigi Allen. In essence, Bowery would challenge the societal norms of what was appropriate for a man to wear and how to act. His costumes and performance pieces were everywhere from somewhat eccentric to fantastically disturbing. And after watching this doc, I made a realization that I'm fascinated with subversive people, religions, and cultural practices. I always have been. Secret societies, witches, the occult, pagan rituals, societal decadence. I love it all. So do I, by the way. Of course, we all like the dark side of the floor. I began to think of the purpose of subversion in society. I guess the pros of subversion would be the idea of speaking truth to power. So anyone or anything that is critical of the status quo is in a sense subverting the establishments. Suffragettes were subverting the establishment's laws that stated women could not vote. By undermining that corrupt aspect of the establishment, the system of gender-based voter suppression was dismantled. God, this guy really is a great writer. The cons would be total anarchy and destruction of all systems of authority, both good and corrupt. It's like a balancing act. At what point do we say subversion is now causing dangerous instability? Right. What is the point at which a Milo Yannanopoulos type is not just being a subversive troll critiquing societal bullshit, but actually becoming a danger to our way of life? Right, right. Are subversives the first symptoms of a civilization in crisis? Is going against the status quo just a natural human habit or both? Hmm. Okay, I'd like to know what you think about the purpose of subversion is what the purpose of, of subversion is in society. And also if you would describe yourself as a subversive person, keep those genes high and tight. Okay. And your mind deep, bro. Thank you, bro. Subversion. I agree. See, I think subversion is mistaken a lot with, um, wanting to get Twitter followers like that Milo, Yanananan, whatever douchey. I, from what I gather, that guy was, I, I didn't follow that story cause I heard a little bit and I was like, tuned out. I, I tuned out. You know why? Because I can smell bullshit 
subversion from the real, right? You can tell who's trying. And that and that's the essence, I think, of subversion versus someone just attention seeking. Is um is there a point? Is there uh are we just tearing down to tear down, or is there a proposed plan, right? How life should be, which critique is great, but dude how do I rebuild? And what's the point, right? Like this WikiLeaks stuff. Okay, you want to destroy shit. I get that. Okay, now what, douchebag? So now you've leaked everything. And okay, do you have a proposal for how things should be? Because if you're going to be subversive, I think at least propose an alternative. Don't just shit on the, the status quo. So I think that's the, I love subversion, by the way, clearly. I'm a huge fan of of all things subversive. Um, and I think, but I think the older you get, the more you want things to be cool because you have kids and you're like, I just want the world to be a nice place, but I still stand for it now. uh, But here's, here's where I draw the line on subversion. Am I subversive? I don't know. That's for you to decide, but I'll tell you what I have learned is that I don't give a fuck about societal rules. And that took a long time because a lot of that stuff is ingrained in us no matter who you are, if you're a white man, you've got a certain playbook that you got to play by, right? If you're a black guy, then there's a whole other playbook. A black woman, forget it. That's your playbook. And then if you're a white woman, there's a playbook. There's a playbook for all of us that society has established. And it takes a long time to uncover and, and dig and find out what those things are because they're so deeply entrenched in us. And that's a lot about this theme of entitlement and deserving, right? There's a reason why if you're born in the 70s like me and you're a woman, you may not feel entitled to uh, be a stand-up comic because we just didn't, I didn't have the fucking examples. Uh, There's a a lot of reasons. I can't speak on everyone else who's marginalized, but the point is there's a playbook that exists and it's your job to find out what the unspoken rules are and then say, fuck you, fuck your fucking rules. I don't care. Who's going to judge you, dude? Who, who, what committee has decided that a woman can't have her own podcast and talk shit for an hour in outer space, which is what I do. Who's telling me that? Who's telling anybody that? So the point is, uh, it's subversion's wonderful. It's necessary in society. You know, I make fun of a uh, non-binary stuff, but in reality, I like it because, it's opening up our way of thinking, right? It's um, now to speak back to the Wiccan lady. I mean, there's a point where it's like that's subversive as fuck, right? To practice paganism, witchcraft, and all that stuff. Yeah, but there's also a little point of do it where it is a bit of a, a bit of a safe place, right? Like I do me, but I do me in L.A. <laughs> okay, I do me uh, amongst other liberal weirdos because here I go there's a saying that Oprah Winfrey says that I absolutely love which is go where you're celebrated not where you're tolerated did you hear that go where you're celebrated not where you're tolerated and there that's a wonderful saying and I I that's like my mantra whenever I think oh they're they're being weird about having me here or you know I don't feel welcome here well fuck them go go where they like you Go where you're celebrated. Go where they want you. And I'm really thankful now in society that we have opened up, you know, and in my case with female comedy, I'm seeing the younger generation. I'm seeing like 20-year-old boys who come to shows and they look at me and they laugh as if it's not a big deal. They, It's a given that there's female comics. Now, when I started, that wasn't the case. 
you know, it's, it wasn't a given. It, it had to become that in order for me to be accepted or whatever. So, you know, society comes around eventually, eventually society comes around, but it takes a long time. And as you can see right now, I think we're having a backlash to all the progress that kind of happened, right? The gays had their rights in the military. We had fucking people pissing in bathrooms. We had, you know, whatever, women doing stuff, driving in Saudi Arabia. And there's always a backlash. There's an expansion and then the elastic band theory, right? The rubber band theory, it kind of comes back, but it'll go back. This is not new in history. This is not new. Everything does this. Uh, So subversion, everybody is responsible for their own subversion. You're responsible for it. You know, like, especially with motherhood, I talk about this shit a lot too, especially with motherhood. Boy, there is a, there's a lot of unspoken cultural norms. Number one, you got to be about your kid 24 seven, right? If you're not fixated on being a perfect mother, you're not doing it right. (laughs) It's a lot. Women have to be hot all the time. You got to be good looking, right? Ladies, you got to be, you got to Botox it up. You got to be fit. You got to fucking do everything at every era of your life. You got to maintain your fuckability. That's a number one importance. And if you're a dog, forget it. Don't you dare be an ugly woman. (laughs) That's just the woman stuff. I don't fucking think about other people. So sorry, if you're listening and you're a, you know, a black guy or a Latin man, I don't know. I don't know what your guys' norms are, but boy, there's some, everyone's got their shit to overcome. Believe me, everybody's got their, their stuff they need to subverse, subversion, subversive. So yeah, yeah. Everybody's got their bag of shit. And that's to go back to the first email. That's the whole point, right? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, everyone's just dealing with their own bag of bullshit. You're born into this world at whatever country, to whoever parents in whatever form and whatever color and whatever, you know, shape, meat globule, meat vessel that you are in consciousness. And you're given this bag and it's up to you, man. You can, you can cry about the fucking bag. You can be afraid of the bag. You can, you know, blame so-and-so and such and such, and you can never transcend your station or you can take the fucking hero's journey like my man at the Ivy League school, you take the hero's journey, like my man who's going to move to a major city and get out of the Bible Belt, right? Like my girl who's going to move out of where she lives and practice witchcraft amongst other witches. Or you can be, you can be a chicken shit and you can uh, blame other people for your sadness and you can live for, uh, for that. So there you go. All right. I have to go. I got to take my kid to the dentist. He grew teeth. Can you believe that? I've, I don't know how bitches breastfeed past one year because by then the kid's got a fucking set of teeth, bro. <laughs> I breastfed. I'm a perfect mom and I breastfed for uh, 47 and a half months. That's what bitches say. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> fine. He's fine. The kid's fine. Okay. I love you. Uh, email me. That's the bro podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I find it very fascinating that our stuff kind of all, it's all in the ethers guys. We all share one mind. There is no separate you and me, believe it or not. There is no you, there is no me. We're all part of the collective, uh, the collective consciousness. We all share a fucking thing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's what, that's why there is no difference. There's no black, there's no white, there's no Muslim. There's no fucking difference between any of it. Who cares? We're all just douchebags just trying to 
just trying to get our lives, man. All right. I love you. Be good. Um, and stay deep, bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.